Welcome to the House of Trust. My name is Servan Moison from Conscious Innovation. And every week I'm sharing a moment with an inspiring leader who loves to invest in social change. Together we take the time to be and think beyond the technical skills and competencies that you need to do your job as an investor. And we ask ourselves, well, what helps us trust and collaborate effectively? What makes us change our definition of risk? And what are the assumptions that are stopping us from delivering a much bigger impact? And if the same kind of people stick around the decision-making and the check-writing table, what quiet revolution does need to happen to make more space around this table for people with more lived experience of the issues we're trying to solve? particularly interested in my guest today. She's called Zoe Peden. I've known Zoe for a number of years and I wanted to bring you, Zoe, around this table in the House of Trust. First, because you have a warm presence and a great sense of humor. I just needless to say, we almost crashed our computers before this session. Um, but also because you've been a social entrepreneur and you know OVC. You're also an influencer and a movement builder. So Zoe, welcome. Well, thank you. I don't know if I've been called an influencer before. Oh, yeah, I'll just own it. Okay, fine. <laughs> There's a soft touch of influencing touch in you that I want to hear more of. And so I wonder, what are the key highlights of your journey to becoming a VC? And, you know, how did you land in there? Where should I start? Well, I wanted to be an investment banker. I couldn't get in. I just didn't pass any of the tests, the psychometric tests or anything like that. So I was quite crestfallen. And then I managed to squeeze a job when I couldn't even use a computer in publishing, in academic publishing. And that was the first sector to digitize. So academic and STM, science, technical and medical publishing were the first ones to put everything online. So I got involved with doing that and I really enjoyed it. I realized I really loved computers. Uh, because I'd never had one before. This was the late 90s. Everyone didn't have one yet. Only the people with lots of money could have them, you know, have their own computer at university. And I, yeah, took a loan out, bought my own computer and started building websites because I enjoyed the internet so much. It was almost like in the 80s, you always used to have those um, Encyclopedia Britannica, you know, the, the salesman at the door saying, do you have all this? And I remember at school, they used to say, now use your encyclopedia. Your homework today is to look up this. We never had them. We couldn't afford to buy them. I'd have to go around to another neighbour's, you know. Nearly everybody had this set of, you know, Encyclopedia Britannica, but we didn't have it. So just to look up what this word meant and then I could do the homework. But for me, going on the internet was like, wow, you can find anything. It was like a massive library. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is it for me. And I just absolutely loved it. And I decided this was what I wanted to be more involved in. The dot-com bubble burst not long after I started working. So my attempts to move into startups I didn't get there because they ran out of money just as I was trying to, to get into them and get my first job. So I stayed in publishing and digitized lots of content, created new products for lots of people, different publishers around the world. And then after taking some time out backpacking and realizing that I... I wanted to work somewhere that 
wasn't owned by private equity people that just shoved people out on the basis of uh, the share price. And it was very cold in all the, the publishing companies. I wanted to work somewhere that cared about the people. So I joined a charity and this charity had this language program of um, sign language and symbols and it helped people with very severe learning difficulties to communicate. And everything that they had was in book format or VHS. So nothing was digitized. So of course, that's me. I was the person that digitizes things. But the the charity didn't have the risk appetite to convert what they had into what was very new then, apps. So I was part of the first app wave in the the late 2000s. And um, I left to create my own company, Insane Logic, with a product called my choice pad and that was a digitization of that charity's language program and that was the start of my entrepreneurship journey where I met you through Unlimited I think it was you were involved with Unlimited you were connected with the work you were doing um, the Foundation for Social Entrepreneurs and then after years of doing that one of my investors was Ananda Impact Ventures and they asked me to join them first as a venture partner, so helping with scouting, sitting on some of the portfolio boards until I'd, I'd worked out after a couple of years of working for them that this might be something for me. And they'd worked out that I might be something for them. So uh, I moved to two days a week, both tippy toeing in the water, each other's waters, whether we could work together. And that that increased now to yeah, like very full time, so like obsessive, just like it was when I was uh, building my own business. So the full cycle from building product through to entrepreneurship, and then through to you know investing in entrepreneurs and product. So full cycle. That's beautiful. So when I listen to your stories, I often notice how you gently point to the blind spots in the landscape. Sometimes you. You share this, I've noticed this, I've noticed that, that's not right. Or what about this? And it's just to ask a very just candid question, why? Why is that happening? Why aren't they taking risks? Why are they not inviting these people around the table? And I wonder what kind of blind spots are you noticing now in the VC landscape? Hmm. They're getting a bit better. There's certainly more diversity um, in venture capital now, but there hasn't been for a long time. There's still, I mean, there's been a lot of work done around gender and more work coming through. It's going to take some time on ethnicity, but there's nothing on social mobility. It's zero, absolutely nothing. It's almost like it doesn't exist as a characteristic, you know, and often this is that permeates its intersectional, you know, intersectionality of all those different areas of diversity that if, the social mobility bit, I think, is one of the hardest ones to, to climb through. Somebody needs to pull you in, basically, from who's already had some privilege, needs to come down and pull you up into their circles. In terms of um, veg capital and, and where it sits, it's very uh, a privileged place where it doesn't traditionally hasn't let any outsiders in. And it does mean that at the top of most of these venture capital firms, it is still very white male. They went to school together or they built a tech company in the good ones, built a tech company together. But it's all guys because they've worked together and there does need to be a very, very high level of trust. So they're most likely to go for people that they've worked with or people who are very similar to them. So I understand how it's happened that there's this monoculture 
in venture capital built over the last 50 years. But those are the people who are deciding what the future of our technology looks like. VCs that acts as a catalyst. It's not the be all and end all of everything. The entrepreneurs are. Without them, we'd be nowhere. But they're the ones that believe and take the risks early on. So who are they believing in? And what kind of risks are they taking? Seems to be very similar to themselves. So it's like it's manifesting and, and maintaining itself in this the same monoculture. So for me, it's great to see all the women and you know, and I'm representative of that too, coming into partnerships and being Czech writers in this world. I still don't meet many people who sound like me, because you can tell from my accent from the type of school that I went to. That's the the easiest way in the UK from an accent. And I'd like to see, particularly in impact investing, I think it's really important that we have entrepreneurs who have the lived experience of the things that they're trying to solve so that they involve the communities, they hire people, provide jobs to different sets of people. And other people can be pulled upwards then too, up this social ladder that exists. We've got more of an insight and a different way of thinking than the other people around the table. I'm not saying that we should all just take over, like civil collapse, come on, revolution. I still think it's good to have that balance and that mix of voices around the table and, and thoughts and lived experience, but I still don't see a lot at all, is what I'm saying. Social mobility is terrible, and it's not spoken about or tracked. So if you're not tracking it, then how are we going to ever change anything? Is there an aversion to tracking? For understandable reasons. They always start first with gender, then it goes through ethnicity, then sexuality, then ability, you know, able-bodied, it go through everything. And then social mobility, even though that's, you know, in the UK, that's over 50% of the population are working class. Somehow this majority is a minority in, in so many senses. Zoe, what kind of internal revolution needs to happen within? I think it needs to be recognized and measured to start. Everything starts that way, raised awareness. And there are a lot of men and more women in this world, but, but particularly men in high places who have come from, you know, humble roots and made their way through. But somehow I think it's been forgotten. And I think it's time to wake them up and say, be proud of your roots and please go out there and try to hire, you know, broaden your hiring base and then look for those people and pull them up. Not just the men, but the women too. More focus on that needs to happen and then have that balance of people around the table or your senior execs, whether it's in finance or all the different areas of industry. I think, yeah, social mobility, really important. It's interesting I pick up the word you use there. I heard you say, I think they've forgotten. And in the many conversations I have with people, actually, these concepts are buried. They're still there. They're buried. The struggle that you go through, because you can't see it. You can't see it. It's hidden. So you can hide it. It's not like gender or ethnicity where you wear it and it's there all the time, whether that's a hindrance for some people or but you know you can own it you are what it is where you can actually hide you can change your accent which people sometimes do or schools certain schools squeeze it out of them I can't do that I can't do that with the best of my efforts I can't <laughs> no. <laughs> no it's nice to have these accents but there's there's a, there's a lot of work to be done there but yeah it's I think they can hide it more easily and other things overtake 
and you, you you forget about it, but it's at the bottom. I know when I've spoken to some very powerful men high up in private equity, and as soon as I go on a call and they hear my accent, one of the first things that they smile and they go, where's that accent from? And you, and then it, they, all of a sudden the tone changes and they become very familiar with me. It's just like relaxing to speak to another working class person, like they come out of their shell and it evokes memories. Right. So the assumption comes up and you check actually your accent doesn't, it doesn't mean, it, it means actually she's one of my clan, one of my network, one of my, one of my family or, <laughs> and but this is sad, isn't it? That we have a layer of assumptions like that. From what I'm hearing you say, is the quiet revolution comes from these very um, discreet conversations where actually people listen to each other and say, actually, yes, it's fine. I mean, accent's only one way, and some people have ironed those out. I think that's a shame. What more could we do to engage that quiet revolution for, to enable more social mobility? Similar to the things that we do with gender, you know, more high profile, pushing it, making it a a topic of conversation and putting it higher up on the agenda. The same, you know, playbook as we've done with Black Lives Matter, um, with gender. I think it's the next one for me. All right. And what might be in the way, Zoe? Oh, lots of things. There's so wokedom. Um, I think there's, there's become a bit of a backlash you know across the media and because we're all going into recession right now of anything where people talk and want to put equality as the highest thing up on the agenda you're considered a, a liberal it used to be called liberal now we're called woke uh, and you know the it, it to the detriment of anyone else and so the media likes to take people down that you know, put their head above the parapet to, to um, champion things like this now because we're in a recession. There should be higher priorities. People are dying, you know. It's how do you get, you know, that that voice? How do you get heard and pick up the right momentum, the right things rather than being um, uh, taken down for being a liberal, liberal-minded and uh, not on top of what's really important in this current crisis of the world right now. And I wonder if we had more VC come in to join us around this table in this house of trust, what question would you donate to them? So any kind of VC, what question? Whoa. It depends whether they're impact or, or mainstream impact. You could really go for it. Like, um, okay, so you're an impact investor. Do you have any lived experience of, of what it feels like to be a minority or to, to struggle? So the things that you're investing in, do you have first-hand experience of them? Because the majority of the people will say no. It's fine to have some people on an investment team and check writers like that, but really, should they all be like that? I mean, surely you should have some understanding that would put you in a, a better position to make the right decisions with other people's money. So for me, I think it's a risk and that you should, you know, for impact investors definitely should be looking at social mobility as one of the criteria for hiring and make it really high on the agenda. And then with mainstream VC, can't go for them as much as you could go for impact investors. But just, again, risk. You are acting as a catalyst and 
perhaps there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there that are not in your circle because they come from a different social demographic and you're not finding them. They could be hidden diamonds in the rough. You really need to go out there, expand your network. So why don't you have people on your team that cover all these different areas, you know, from different communities? And this could really, you know, stand you out from the rest because there's a lot of VCs now. So having a really broad range of talent from different, you know, lived experience backgrounds could really set you up to get the best ones, basically. Mm, and I'm, I appreciate your your definition of risk is then evolving when you ask this question and when you start to activate, um, you know, that's kind of search for people who can be in your investment committee from different lived experience, all the entrepreneurs in your portfolio, etc. Hmm, what is your hope for the future, Zoe? Well, I am hopeful. I'm a natural optimist. Life's thrown me some, you know, hiccups along the way, but God, it's bloody brilliant. Um, it's just, I've had an amazing time and journey with all the pain. Humanity can be really brilliant. It really can be. And I still have a massive belief in how much people can change things and to be around like we were the other day when we were together in somebody's kitchen. Just that around the table, you can feel it. The, it, it bubbles when you're around people like that. So I'm hopeful because we're starting to see new faces, people from different areas of, and walks of life start to pick up and take positions of responsibility and influence. And I guess, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those, but one of many. And, you know, if we all keep speaking to each other and keep working towards these goals, regardless of what government or prime minister we've got in place. I think there's things that we can change. The more access to writing checks, to power and to influence that we can have, then I really believe, that's me the optimist talking, that we can change things because things have changed in the last 10 years since I entered this field. It feels completely different. Things have evolved. I see change. And I know we, we like to measure things. We don't see enough change, but there has been an awful lot of change in the last 10 years. And the groundwork has been done. There's plenty more to be done. But yeah, there's going to be a lot more women at the top, uh, a lot more diversity from all walks of life, I believe. And hopefully better, healthier. And when I say healthier, I mean just ethically healthier companies that are built in the future. If we're on those boards, you know, I think there needs to be an understanding that times seven, times 10 on your return should maybe not always be the goal. The outsized returns maybe are not healthy for society or the planet in full and that we may, you know, need to take decisions of some form of compromise for the long-term health of our people and the, the planet. God, I sound like some president saying that but I think there needs to be an, an adjustment in mindset we're in our own bubble where we talk about this all the time but I'd like to see it going further into the mainstream the banks when they talk about how they want to make the world a better place and all their ESG chat actually making these uncomfortable decisions and compromises and the shareholders being accepting these compromises for the long term and rather than being so short term and a lot of the way that finance is set up is still focused on very short term bets and plays 
it disrupts and it, it just yeah it, it distorts things for the future and I think this needs to be looked at and government and policy has a, a good strong role to play in that and maybe it's a time for them to start jumping back oh, I sound like a liberal no no it's fine thank you so much Zoe for putting the spotlight on the the need for more social mobility and for the catalytic effect and and also for pointing out you know the different appreciation of risk and what we should do to make things change and for your hope and uh, optimism thank you so much thank you Savannah Oh, it's always an uplifting experience to talk to Zoe. I loved hearing her thoughts on social mobility and her optimistic take on the future. Haven't you noticed that when you do have the opportunity to speak on a one-to-one basis with someone else without the pressure of performing, you let your guard down, but you also come out more as a human with your uniqueness, and that contributes to creating a bond. For Zoe, it was her accent, being able to tell a story about this and realizing the other party also had a story to share about their own upbringing. My next guest in the House of Trust is Chris West, partner at Sumerian Foundation, Sumerian Partners. He's a social investor focused on impact first. He's a doctor in ecology, a green entrepreneur, and he's contributed to uh, setting up the Shell Foundation. In that warm episode, we talk about what investing partnerships can learn from dating and healthy relationships. We also look at the virtues and the values that investors can apply to bring social impact at scale. Then we look at the curriculum that Chris would love to bring to students if Sumerian was a school for impact investing. I'm looking forward to this. So you know now that the House of Trust is available to listen to anywhere you can find your podcast and it's completely free. I'd love you to subscribe. And for more insights and resources on how to think independently as an impact leader, you can head to my website, servanmoison.co.uk, and get my regular conscious innovation updates. Keep well, and see you next time. Mm-hmm.